morning and welcome to the Sunday service of Free Community Church. Thank you for joining us today. And for those of you joining us online, we're so glad to have you with us too. Let's take a moment to greet one another. If you're on site, please turn to your neighbor and give them a smile and a wave. And for those of us joining remotely, feel free to type a greeting in the chat and our moderators will be online to respond to any messages. As we enter into this sacred time, please stand as you're willing and able and join me in the call to worship. Come in, come in and sit down. You are a part of the family. We are lost and we are found, and we are a part of the family. We know, God, that we who have gathered here are part of the family, but we also know that the family is much bigger still. There are people we don't understand. There are people we disagree with. There are people we don't like, and there are people who don't like us. Challenge us, God, to expand our vision of family. Until we see all of creation as one big family. Amen. Let's remain standing and join our hearts and voices in a time of praise and worship. Feel free to clap. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you, I want to see you, to see you.
hearts of ours, we want to see you. We want to see you. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. We want to see you.
for the sake of a soul from Bethlehem soil grew Calvary's sick choir like a seed you were sown for the sake of a soul Sit down. <laughs> Let us bring our thanksgiving and concerns before God in prayer. We thank you for getting us through another week of work and school. We thank you for work you have given us, even if it's not always pleasant. When we are weary, frustrated, or tempted to complain, Help us to turn to you and remember that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. Teach us healthy ways to cope with these stresses. Give us wisdom and patience to deal with difficult supervisors, coworkers, and clients. Help us to see as you see them, your flawed yet beloved creation for whom Christ died. We pray for those who are jobless, seeking new jobs, or needing direction in life. Help us to trust in you and use the opportunity to draw close to you. Recently, there has been increased media coverage of gun violence. Yet, these acts are symptoms of deeper issues that center around how our societies have failed to take care of each other. Certain, certain individuals have suffered more than others and become troubled, angry, or afraid, and others find themselves unable or unwilling to let go of prejudices and hate. Forgive us for the ways we support systems that give so little to some and so much to others. Forgive us for neglecting to confront difficult issues like institutional racism and other persistent forms of discrimination and microaggressions. While the situation may seem hopeless, you have given us freedom to imagine a different world through the wisdom of our faith tradition, even though imperfect. Help us to build deeper, richer roots of love in our families, friendships, and communities. Help us to recognize Christ in the stranger and welcome each other as equals. This is your will and our mission. It's not easy work, and we need solid ground to stand on. So we ask for you to plant the truth of the gospel in our hearts, that we may say with confidence, God loves me, God is with me, and God delights in me every day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
colors of the rainbow All the voices of the wind Every dream that reaches out That reaches out to find where love begins Every word of every story Every star in every sky Every corner of creations Lives to testify For as long as I shall live I will testify to love I'll be a witness in the sciences When words are not enough Every breath I take, I'll give thanks to God and above. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love. From the mountains to the valleys, from the rivers to the sea. Every hand that reaches out, every hand that reaches out to offer peace, every single act of mercy, every step to kingdom come, all the hope in every heart will sing what love has done. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love. I'll be a witness in the silences when words are not enough. With every breath I take, I'll give thanks to God above. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love. Just the voices. As long as I shall live, I will testify to love. I'll be a witness in the silences when words are not enough. With every breath I take, I'll give thanks to God above. For as long as I shall live, I will testify to love. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to FCC. Um, whether you're worshipping with us in person today, I'm uh, so glad to see all of you. Uh, whether you are worshipping with us online, um, yeah, welcome. 
Today we are delighted to welcome one of our leaders to the pulpit. Uh, many of you know Daryl. Daryl is a long-time member of FCC. Um, he currently sits on our council, uh, and he also sits actually as um, one of Miak's uh, Pastoral Relations Committee member too. In his professional life, Daryl is a doctor in a psychiatry department in a general hospital. So you see there are different parts of Daryl, right? But for me personally, what I really appreciate about Daryl is his insights and his clarity that he often brings uh, to Miak and me, actually, uh, and as well as the council when we're talking about different things with regards to church. And when I, th when I think about Daryl, I think about how he's someone who truly practices what it means to have a mindful and embodied um, spiritual practice. So I feel like there's so many things that we can learn from him, really. And so I'm really excited to welcome him to the pulpit today. And will you warmly welcome him, okay? We must adjust the camera. <laughs> Hi, um, very good morning. And thank you very much uh, to Pauline for that very kind introduction. Um, again, a warm welcome to all of you uh, to our Sunday service. Uh, it's been quite a while since I last did this standing here. So I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, please uh, bear with me if I fumble a little bit. The last time I did this, we were still using uh, 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 printed scripts. We were <laughs> reading from our scripts and, and uh, there was no live stream. Um, yeah, but it's, it's always such an enriching as well as a very humbling experience to be preparing the Sunday message. So... I do hope um, that you too will be blessed in receiving it this morning. So please pray with me. Merciful God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Amen. Now, in the course of preparing this message this morning, you know, my memory was often brought back um, to when we started having to wear masks and when physical gatherings were very much disrupted uh, for quite some time. And very early on in the, the pandemic, we obviously had no idea that services would be disrupted for a good two years or so. And I remember commenting to Miak then um, that when one day when we do resume in-person services, the faces we probably will see in the, in the seats every Sunday will be very different from those we were familiar with then. And I think to a large extent that has, for, at least for me, proven to be quite true. And so amidst all these changes that we've seen and endured in the last two years, I thought that the questions that he posed to us in, our sermon on, uh, in his sermon on identity last week really hit the mark quite a bit. And, and they really continued to echo deep within me um, throughout the week. Right? The, the question of who am I? And by extension also, as, you know, as a living, breathing body of Christ, I think it's equally, if not more important, to be also asking ourselves, not just who am I, but collectively, who are we? Who are we as a church and as a community? And how are we living out our faith? This is a, it's a question that repeatedly occurs you know, to me as, as we wrestle and as we grapple and as we learn and grow through our spirituality. 
And today, rather than putting up this question as we are, uh, 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 as we habitually do, um, I would like to um, give it a bit more space to settle, for it to breathe within our minds. So I'm just going to leave this question here for now and invite you to keep it in the back of your awareness as we take a look at today's scripture. Today we will be exploring familiar territory, but when we are familiar with something, we tend to get a bit complacent. Our minds tend to switch off a little bit. You know, we tend to jump ahead and fill in the gaps, you know, and we want to get to the end of the story. And so today, in today's scripture reading, I'm trying to gonna do things a little bit differently. Um, and I would like to in, invite all of you to approach um, the scripture reading with an attitude of curiosity, as if today, for the first time, you are hearing this story. And I will be, instead of flashing it up on the screen for reading, I will be reading it aloud slowly. And perhaps, as you are listening, try to place yourself within the story. Listen carefully to the details, and you may even wish to just close your eyes as you do this. So, when we are ready, Luke documents an encounter that Jesus has. Just then, a religious scholar stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? The scholar answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But, Looking for a loophole to justify himself, he asked Jesus again, Who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while travelling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three, do you think, was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The scholar answered, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. 
This interaction and parable is one that many of us are, no doubt, quite familiar with. In conventional readings of this passage, the Good Samaritan is held up as the prime example of good Christian love for your neighbour. This is Bob. Bob stopped to help the half-dead victim of a mugging. Bob is a good neighbour. Be like Bob. Right? That's the message we often take away from the story of the Good Samaritan. Whereas, unfortunately, the priest and the Levite are depicted as negative examples. Characters who did not quite live up to what was expected of them. But just to expound a little bit more on the story, Jesus also quite shrewdly amps up the drama and even a little bit of the shock factor in some, uh, with some choice story devices in this parable. Firstly, he uses a setting that is very familiar and relevant to his audience. This 40-kilometer journey between Jerusalem and Jericho is, was a very commonly traveled road in, the, in that time, and already a, a road that was quite well known to be a risky and dangerous journey. So the, the, the misfortunes that befell the traveler would be something quite actually familiar with, to, the, to the audience. Secondly, by elevating a Samaritan, the unknown enemy of the Jews, as the hero of the story, this would have been outrightly scandalous to the audience. And thirdly, Luke describes the scholar as looking for a loophole. This is a message, the message uh, translation. He's looking for a loophole and wanting to justify himself. The use of not one, but two characters of very similar background to this scholar, the priest and the Levite, they would probably have come from very similar uh, uh, educational and, and, and occupational backgrounds, was quite a clear indictment of his intentions at that time. So Jesus very cleverly works uh, uh, some of these mechanisms into the story. And as a response to the scholar's question on the love commandment, this parable clearly teaches us not just love, but radical love. A love that really transcends tribes, you know, cuts across roles and identities. And as we know very well, this call to love has inspired Christian communities across history, all over the world, to great acts of mercy, charity, and compassion. You know, a Christian organizations and bodies have built schools for children, hospitals for the sick, shelters for the homeless, catered meals for the poor, hospices for the dying. These are things that we are well known throughout the world. But at the same time, we are also acutely aware of so many instances where Christians have failed at the love commandment. And perhaps to illustrate my point, Allow me a little bit of a creative license to retell the story of the Good Samaritan. So imagine if you picture yourself one fine Sunday, today's a bit gloomy, eh? but maybe a nice sunny Sunday, nice weather, you are walking to church from Commonwealth train station. And on the, on the path along the way, this inconsiderate uh, e-scooter rider who's illegally riding on the pavement knocks you over 
and you fall into the ditch, the longkang, the deep longkang outside of one commonwealth. And from far, far away, you see Miak walking. So he's taken the train uh, to church this morning. You walk, he's walking along the road, the road that's just outside here. And, and you, you, you notice that he spotted you. You made eye contact. But instead of coming near, he crossed the road, then he passed by you, and then crossed back again to get back into the building. Okay. And then next, already 10.30, uh, you see Pauline's car driving down the road. You don't know whether she spotted you, but just as she comes by near you, she floors the accelerator. <laughs> she speeds past you and, 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 and passes you by and, and drives into the building. And finally, luckily for you, uh, a kind passerby saw you, spotted you, helped you out of the ditch and drove you to hospital. And luckily, you were not very seriously injured. So maybe after a brief hospital stay, a few days at home, you recovered. Then, next Sunday, you know that Myak is, and, and Pauline are going to be ch in church if you came for <laughs> service. The question here would, would be, what is your impulse? What would your impulse be in terms of responding to what has happened to you? What will you do next? And, I would, and if that story doesn't resonate so much with you, maybe perhaps try to think back to a time when maybe you felt hurt, betrayed, misunderstood by someone, and you felt an urge to respond to that. So please join us on Menti. The code is 311871. Um, and I'll give you some time to slowly put in your responses. And here I would like to um, encourage you to try to be honest, right? What have you done in a similar situation before? Um, but uh, please keep it PC. We are family-friendly uh, <laughs> live stream here. So uh, what may your response be? Yes, definitely curse and swear. Yes, avoid them. Okay, question them, confront them and ask, why did you do what you did, right? Hold back my anger, all right, yes. Ah, be pegro, that's a good one. Pegro, in case some of, for those of you not don't know, that's being passive-aggressive. Or be outrightly angry, scolding them, you know, question, why, why, well, what, what do you do, right? Ah, talk to the board. Good. Because you know the disciplinary processes of, of SCC, and we do have disciplinary processes, if you think that any of the leaders have, have done something not quite right. Okay, email, yes. Good. Why didn't I get an e-scooter? <laughs> okay. Be passive-aggressive. Shame them. Yes, how would you shame them? That would be a question. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Thank you for that. Go to the PRC, yes. There's one thing that no one is, is putting up there. Complain on social media. Oh. Ah, Right? Straight away, the next thing you do is you post it, right? And, and share with the world that this happened to me and, and you know how terrible things are. So thank you so much for your very honest um, um, responses. Really appreciate that. And, and they really do truly reflect, right? That when people wrong us or hurt us, which character in the parable do we commonly and most immediately associate them with? Right? 
when we encounter the priests and the Levites in our lives, there is much wailing and gnashing of teeth. We quite readily heap curses upon them, as you have shared, and we demand our pound of flesh in response. But suppose you allow me to extend the parable just a little bit further. So I'm going into storytelling again. The injured traveller spent a month at the inn and made a slow and painful recovery. Soon after, he had a chance encounter with Jesus and posed the same question to Jesus. Lord, I fell into the hands of robbers and was left for dead. A priest and a Levite passed me by, but a kind Samaritan bound my wounds and paid for my recovery. So who is my neighbour? What do you think Jesus' answer would be? What do you think Jesus' answer would be? And here would be where I think, uh, well, I won't presume. Let's see what the responses are. Okay, good. Appreciate the honesty still, yes, the Good Samaritan. I think overwhelming response uh, in terms of uh, who we know the answer should be in terms of who our neighbour is. All of the above is true. Everyone, right? But the reality is that it's far easier to be charitable, merciful, compassionate and loving towards suffering that is very visible suffering that is concrete and uncomplicated, that we are not Im implicated by, the half-dead travellers, beaten, stripped and robbed in our lives. But to those who do not appear to be suffering, downtrodden, needy, and most of all, to those who are unrepentant and undeserving, we reserve for them judgment rather than compassion. So my question today is who are the priests and Levites in our lives. I hope that some, might, some labels might easily come to mind, right? People who are pro-life advocates in light of what has recently happened with, in the US. Homophobes, right? homophobic conservatives, racists, rich business owners who exploit their employees, nasty colleague or boss at work, that single mother who chooses to have five kids and still depend on hands out, handouts, perhaps even that drug dealer on death row. But the reality is this list uh, can easily be flipped around. If I was speaking to a different audience, it would include the LBG, LGBTQ activists, the pro-choice lobbyists, people of other ethnicities or religions. Right? It depends really so much on our perspective. All these people, depending on how we look at it, they're not suffering. If they are, it's of their own doing, their own fault. They deserve it. But we are told, and we know, based on your answers that you know, you've responded, we know that the people who hurt us, the people who are against us, are our neighbours too. We are told this. We are told that we need to be charitable to people even when their suffering seems to be of their own doing. 
we are told to forgive those who wrong us, even when we, they do not ask for our forgiveness. But we are not told how. And that's what we, many of us, many Christians struggle with still. And so the easy thing for most people to do is, okay, since you've told me to do it, I, I will comply. I'll obey with superficial niceness. On the surface, we are then cordial, you know, we are polite and pleasant, we may tolerate differences of views, but in our hearts, we probably never quite go out of our way to empathise with them, to help them, and heaven forbid that we may need to defend them at some point. In our hearts, we don't let go of the judgement, and this, in truth, is how lines are drawn. It becomes really just us and them. I am not like them, I will never be like them. And then, in that very moment, the othering has happened, right? So we often talk about drawing the circle wider. How do we do, go about doing this? In Pink Dot service, we very nicely drew a <laughs> LED light circle, right? Symbolism, symbolism aside, really, how do we do this? How do we live this out? So in this setting, let me tell you another story. Today got quite a few stories. Imagine now you were taking a walk through the woods. Beautiful scenery, great weather, you are really thoroughly and genuinely enjoying yourself. And by chance, you come upon a puppy lying on the side of the path, and you think to yourself, oh, how cute, you know, it looks docile, it should be friendly. Let me um, go up to it and try to uh, pet it, right? So you go close and you reach out. But just as you reach out, it snarls, shows its teeth, bears its teeth at you and tries to bite your hand. And in shock, you draw back in fear and anger. You are surprised. And you reach for a nearby stick to defend yourself. But just as you disturb the leaf litter, you, you, know, you realise that the puppy has its leg caught and mangled in a trap, a nasty, horrible trap. It's injured. In that moment, as you see that, your anger immediately dissolves and is replaced by pity and compassion for the dog, knowing that it turned aggressive because it was in pain and it was suffering. Many commentaries on the parable of the Good Samaritan contain similar explanations for the priest and the Levite's behaviour. I'm sure some of us would have heard them before. As members of the priestly caste, they would have had to uphold very strict codes of ritual purity, which prohibited contact with what they might have presumed to be a corpse, which would have rendered them unclean, and they would have to go through lengthy rituals and processes to um, you know, uh, regain that, that cleanliness. But an explanation like that still probably does not go far enough to inspire much forgiveness within us. The decision to value their purity over saving a life was still very much a conscious and intentional mistake made by them. But what if, by not a not-so-unreasonable stretch of creativity, we later found out that perhaps the priest was on his way to officiate a wedding, and perhaps the Levite was due to preside over a funeral. There were people waiting for them, to fulfill, fulfill these functions that were important to them. And had they stopped, they would not only have been late, but because of the purity laws, they would not have been able to perform the tasks that they were needed for. 
what if their concern was primarily for their communities, for others? Would this shift your perspective even just a little bit in terms of understanding why they made that decision in that moment? And this is often our first error. We often assume the worst of other people's motives, even when we have no objective evidence of it, especially, especially when we've been hurt, when we are feeling hurt and in pain. But more importantly, what if they really did have bad or selfish intentions, right? We cannot deny that point. But in that setting, even in that setting, is it fair for us to assign full responsibility and blame to them and them alone as individuals? Let me ask you, who created the purity laws? Where does the pressure to conform to these laws come from? Were they educated with the belief that purity takes precedence over compassion? Perhaps that was the norm at that time. Did they have the, perhaps have the first aid skills necessary to render effective help? So a lot of other factors, actually, if you take a more broad and expansive view of the situation, many factors come to light, just as the trap that, that uh, injured the dog appeared as we, as we take a closer look. And the question is, are these factors then fully in their control, within the control of individuals? Should they then, if we think that, okay, maybe they're not in control of them, should they then be blamed fully for these conditions which shape their final decision not to help? Even if they were truly selfish people, there were no external pressures, could we learn to see that selfishness itself that trait of selfishness or whatever negative trait we see in people is in itself shaped by so many other conditions in their lives, by their experiences, their upbringing, their education, the role models that they've had, the, the hardships that they, they've been through, right? All being quite out of their in, an individual's control and it exerting a, a more subconscious or unconscious influence on their behaviours, their thoughts, their values. In, in FCC here, you know, over actually really the past weeks and many times already, we've had the privilege to hear from our allies accounts of how they may have started out from more conservative points of view, but over time managed to shift to more inclusive theologies. Do we realise, in hearing these stories, that these stories are woven into existence by a combination of so many threads, so many different elements and conditions, including the patience, courage, authenticity and sacrifices of so many people around them? Perhaps a brave friend or a sibling willing to take the risk coming out to someone who is more conservative. Or maybe a respected teacher who patiently teaches, corrects, embodies critical progressive thinking that you've had a chance to know in your life? What if some people never really have that chance to encounter such people in their lives? These windows to different perspectives. What if the opposite um, influences and conditions are stronger and, and have held back in terms of their ability to change? Can we then say, that we entirely fault someone for being a certain way 
if these conditions of change never come to fruition for them. Perhaps your immediate response to this may be, isn't this just finding excuses for bad behaviour? Right? Aren't we just finding these excuses? We are rationalising their bad behaviour. There's really no acceptable reason for not helping someone who is so direly in need, right? Half dead by the side of the road. Yes, if you are still looking for someone to blame, someone to take responsibility, yes, this would be looking for excuses. But if you, if you are worried at the, the, the reality that we should recognise is that if you are still thinking about finding excuses, you're still worried about, are we just excusing bad behaviour, then you're probably actually still um, thinking in judgement mode. You're still preoccupied with determining whether this was the right or wrong decision. Right? We're making a difference there. And that is why this message is about speaking differently. This whole sermon series, speaking differently, not just speaking differently, but seeing differently. And eventually, hopefully, forgiving differently as well. Because when we make a conscious and intentional shift from judgment to compassion, we arrive at a different way of being. Consider this. When Jesus healed, healed the soldier sent to arrest him in the garden, did he first consider whether the soldier was deserving? It was a very reflexive response he did in the moment. When Jesus washed Judas' feet, do you think in his heart he, he held judgment for the betrayal? Or do you think he would have held compassion for the suffering that Judas would later have to endure? When he said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. For they know not what they are doing might he have perceived out of clarity, out of wisdom, that his persecutors' actions were born from ignorance that was not within their conscious control, at least to a certain, to a large element. So these skills, being aware of the assumptions we make, leaning towards believing the best in people, taking a broad and expansive view of the conditions that shape our thoughts and behaviours, and holding back on assigning blame solely to individuals are powerful skills and steps in our transformation of ourselves. We all possess this capacity to develop and strengthen these skills, but they can only be strengthened through constant practice. It's not something we can be told to do, it's not something I can tell you to do and you immediately start doing it. It's a constant practice to do it. With practice, we sharpen our ability to see the reasons why people behave in hurtful and unhealthy ways, these deeper reasons that may not be within their control. When we begin to see these reasons, compassion and forgiveness can start to be kindled within us. But seeing these reasons, being able to see and, and forgive, is merely the midpoint of the journey. The idea is not for you every time when you are hurt, when you are misunderstood, for you to always need to find reasons, right, to, to justify or to forgive uh, the way that other people are behaving. 
With further practice, we recognise that these behaviours are rooted in their own hurt and pain that is a common thread through all humanity. With further practice, we stop needing to find these reasons, to know that people are hurting and are in pain, and by that very nature, deserving of our compassion and forgiveness. So uh, it, it completely changed, it shifts us from a judgment way of doing to a, a default mode of being forgiving and compassionate. And truly, I tell you, these skills have been an absolute life changer for me in terms of my own spirituality and my life. But don't take my word for it. You will need to try it out. You will need to test it out for yourself and see if this is true, right? Does it work for you? And how, how is it working for you? But in truth, in my experience, in all my encounters with human suffering in all its shapes and forms, and in the course of mental health work, that, that brings me very close to all sorts of right, human suffering and hardship. It has served me well. It has allowed me to acknowledge and connect deeply with another person's pain, um, to withhold judgment, even when people are being difficult, you know, they may be unpleasant, um, um, they may not be acting in ways that um, are healthy or beneficial, right, for their recovery or for their own uh, well-being. It has still allowed me to acknowledge and connect deeply with the roots of their pain, and in, in doing so, allowed me to bring another, other people comfort in that aspect. And I'll let you in on another secret and why this is important, because it not just only helps us relate better to other people, but this is a truth that is fundamental to each of our own well-being as well. Because so often, actually, we play both roles of injured traveller as well as a priest and Levite, all within ourselves all the time. When confronted with the difficult parts, the, the hurt, the difficulty, hardships, hurt and broken part of ourselves, what do we usually do? We recoil, we draw back and we pass by on the other side of the road. We are our, often our own harshest critics. This is a truth that has, you know, in all my experience is often, you know, something that people will fully agree with. We are our own harshest critics. We are far more unkind and unforgiving with ourselves than other people most times. You know that some of the things that we say to ourselves in our head, we would never dream of speaking aloud to another person. And that's the truth. And so, in this setting, I like the metaphor of a mother and a baby. You know, when a baby... I don't know how many of you have looked after babies before. But when a baby cries, what does the mother do? Do they, does the mother run away, go to the next room, then shut the door? I don't want to hear the crying. It's, it's annoying. It's, it's, you know, it's tough. I don't know what the baby wants. I don't know how to deal with this, so I'm going to close the door. Will the baby stop crying if they do that? Or does the mother draw near, move towards the baby, embrace the baby, pick the baby up, and think, consider thoughtfully, why is the baby crying? Right? What, what is bothering the baby? What does it need? How can I help? And even if she cannot discover the cause, and those of us who have 
um, looked after babies will know there, were there are times when you cannot figure out what the baby needs. They're just crying for apparently no reason. She will still do her best to soothe the baby with care and attention. In the same way, our suffering is not something to be feared and shunned. Our minds are like a house, right? uh, your house. Avoiding your pain, I tell people very often, avoiding your pain, avoiding negative thoughts and feelings, it's like shoving everything that you don't want into a storeroom. The house is nice and tidy on the surface, but the storeroom is just packed full of you know, either your trash or unwanted things. The truth is, emotionally, we, we may keep ourselves occupied and, and, you know, house looks nice and tidy, but the truth is this storeroom of the mind will become overwhelmed and it will one day burst open with all the unpleasant feelings and thoughts spilling out. That's the truth of actually how our minds work. It is only when we can face our brokenness with a bit more kindness curiosity, forgiveness and compassion that we can draw near, that we can befriend the injured traveller within ourselves as well. We can pour oil and wine over their wounds, these wounds, and bring it into a healing light. So the next time you find yourself thinking, this person is so rude, right? She's so narrow-minded and I'm so useless. I hope that we can remember the priest and the Levite rather than the good Samaritan from the parable. And in that moment, notice your judgments. Resist making assumptions and expand your view of why they may be this way or that. When we can see more clearly the roots of our common brokenness, our capacity for forgiveness and compassion is vastly transformed. In closing, I would like to bring us back to the first question I posed to you this morning. Who are we? Who are we as a church, as a community? How are we relating to one another? So much of our answer to this question is held within our capacity to forgive and to be forgiving. And not just practicing this from an individual perspective, because there will be times when it is hard to do so. We know we lapse into old patterns and habits, and judgments and complaints start coming, right? If something happens, the first instinct is to complain to someone, to go to someone, this is what happened. But when we, in doing that with each other, can we... You know, a person who is hurt and suffering may not be in the best frame of mind to reframe situations for themselves. They may not be in a very forgiving mood, a very compassionate mood. And that is something that we acknowledge. We need to acknowledge, we need to accept. But can and the other person who's listening, who's providing support, instead of adding fuel to the fire, can we take a more compassionate stance to encourage the other person to broaden their views, right? To notice the assumptions that they are making and ask questions, attend to their hurt. I can see why you're feeling this way. It must have been a very difficult, you know, situation. But at the same time, when, when they are ready, perhaps drop in some um, helpful questions, you know. Do you think they really meant it that way? Or mm, perhaps they were having a tough time themselves. Right? Trying to encourage people to see things in a different light, in a more compassionate light, in a healthier light.
So I believe wholeheartedly that if we can hold this inclination towards forgiveness and compassion within our hearts all the time, we would be well on our way to genuinely embody the love commandment, to love your neighbour as yourself. Let us take a moment to steal our hearts and come into Holy Communion in the presence of our Lord. We gather here each Sunday at this table, even though at this time we are not all physically together. The table of God's fist transcends all time and space because God's love transcends all boundaries. So this table recognizes no boundaries. Here at FCC, we celebrate an open table. This means you do not have to meet any criteria. You do not have to be a member of FCC and you do not have to be baptised. You only need to recognise that God's grace is sufficient. God, God of, of mercy, mercy and justice, justice be, be with us. We, we lift our hearts to you, not because we have to, not because we are supposed to, but because, because it's how we respond to your unconditioned love. Because it feels good to know we are loved. As long as there have been people to tell them, our ancestors in faith have shared stories of your mercy, of how you gave food to the poor, clothes to the naked, and shelter to the lost. As long as there have been people to tell them, our ancestors in faith have shared stories of your justice, of how you gave freedom to the enslaved, opportunity to the outcast, and peace to the war-torn. You acted with both mercy and justice, rescuing the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, providing them with manna when they were hungry. And your people acted with both mercy and justice. Like, like the, the prophets who cried out to care for a widow, orphan, and foreigner. And those who provided food, shelter, and community. You have shared your mercy and justice with us. Not only as gifts to be received from you, but as gifts that we are to share with the world. We see this gift most clearly in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, Jesus showed us what a life of mercy and justice looked like. In, in mercy, he gave food to the hungry. With justice, he broke social custom and shared tables with the powerful and the lowly at once. In mercy, he cared for the sick. With justice, he broke religious custom and healed on the Sabbath. In mercy, he had compassion for the poor. With justice, he spoke out against the empire that held them in poverty. In mercy, he washed his disciples' feet. With justice, he died without protest to expose a corrupt system. On the night he was handed over to the unjust system that killed him, 
he protested by sharing a meal with his friends. There, he took bread, gave thanks for God's mercy in providing it, shared God's mercy by giving it to his friends. Then called them to remember the injustice of his broken body every time they ate bread. After they ate, he took the cup, gave thanks for God's mercy in providing it, shared God's mercy by giving it to his friends, then called them to remember the injustice of his spilled blood every time they drink wine. But, but that, that wasn't, wasn't all. all. God's mercy and justice burst forth when Jesus died, and his resurrection gave hope to all those who hunger for mercy and thirst for justice. God will always equip those who seek to share mercy and justice. Even death cannot stop God's incredible grace. And so we ask God's Holy Spirit to be poured out on this meal, on these gifts of mercy bread and juice, that we may remember Jesus' ministry of mercy and justice, that these gifts of mercy may become for us the body and blood of Christ, so that we may show mercy and do justice, not just for ourselves, but for the transformation of the world. May I invite the stewards to come forward and distribute the elements? Uh, for those who are joining us online, this is a good time for you to prepare your elements as well. the church, please hold on to the elements. We will partake them uh, together.
let us partake the elements with gratefulness. For those who are able and willing, uh, please rise. God, right. uh, uh, let's say this together. God, God through this, this meal, meal, we pray, pray that, that your grace would empower us to do justice and to offer mercy and to do so with humility. You have, you have given us your Son as an example and your Holy Spirit as advocate. Give, Give us the courage to do your work in the world. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Welcome again to the Sunday service of Free Community Church where free stands for first realize everyone's equal. FCC is an inclusive and affirming church, and this means that uh, regardless of your theological background, uh, your gender identity, sexual orientation, economic status, or any other label that the world puts on you, uh, you are welcome here. So to our members and all those who are worshiping with us today uh, regularly and those who are joining us for the first time, welcome home. My name is Wendy, and I am the service leader for today. If you're watching this online and the sermon has blessed you, please give the video a like and subscribe to our channel. If you're new to our church uh, or this is the first time you're joining us online or on site, we invite you to uh, leave your details um, at fcc.law/welcome or scan the QR code on the screen and our pastor or staff will uh, connect with you to see how we can better serve your needs. We also have a newcomers meeting that's coming up at the end of each month. So our next one will be on the 31st of July after service. And if you're interested in joining, please email info at freecomchurch.org. So now let's continue to worship God with our giving. Offering is a time to express our gratitude and our reliance on God. There are two ways you can give today, so uh, using PayNow, by scanning the, uh, the QR codes on the screen or on the backs of the chair um, in front of you. The first QR code is for the general fund, and this goes towards uh, our staff salaries and our operational expenses. And uh, the second QR code is to uh, pay the mortgage on our property. You can also give by credit card at freecomchurch.give.asia. Uh, please note that there is a 1.5% platform fee uh, for credit card giving, but we are grateful for giving in any form. So now please join me in the prayer for the offering. Oh God, all things which come to us are yours. And along with these offerings, we give you our love and esteem and for Christ and his kingdom. Amen. 
So I now invite the stewards to come forward to collect the offering. So if you're on site and you wish to drop cash in a bag, please raise your hand and the stewards will come to you. So while the stewards are, uh, are going around, we have some announcements. Um, so the first is uh, involves uh, Living Water and Rush, which are uh, sh limited duration groups uh, that help people reconcile faith and sexuality. So the next uh, group will begin in July. And uh, so please sign up at uh, FCC.law slash LW2022. A stands for after church events, and these are activities that take place on site after Sunday service. They give you an opportunity to meet with other FCC people face to face. So on a previous Sunday, uh, we painted faith rocks and shared about their significance. Our next activity is uh, the making of prayer rope on the 24th of July. So you may sign up uh, for these events at uh, fcc.law slash ACE, uh, where you can email uh, info at freecomchurch.org. So we continue to need volunteers for the production ministry. Uh, the ministry volunteers make it possible for us to continue to live stream the service over the internet. So if you're interested, um, please register for the next behind-the-scenes tour on the 24th of July, uh, and you can do so by emailing info at freecomchurch.org. Okay, so the T-Mart project is back. Uh, this is a food donation uh, drive to support the nutritional needs of transgender elders through the T-Project. So to participate, uh, please go to the website, uh, fcc.law slash t-mart, um, and you can, or you can scan QR code. Uh, you can then uh, select food items you would like to donate. Uh, the approximate cost will be shown. The last day to pledge is the 31st of July. And then after we place the order, we will contact you with the final cost of your donation and, uh, and how you can make payment. So if you have any questions, you may contact me. Uh, so my name is Wendy at uh, my phone number shown on the screen, or you can email info at freecomchurch.org. Uh, so our uh, last announcement is lunch khakis. Um, so this is an extension of our welcome uh, committee who, um, uh, who would like to continue our welcome by having lunch together with you in the nearby food court. So if you're new to church, uh, would like to get to know us better, can please find Chua, she's in the back, I'm waving her hands, um, and after service, and we look forward to getting to know you better. Okay, so now I invite Pastor Pauline to give us a benediction. Will you stand as you are willing and able to receive the benediction? God, we confess that we often approach life, ourselves and others, with a framework of judgment rather than compassion. Jesus, you have modeled to us what it means to show forgiveness and compassion even to those who don't seem to deserve it. Transform us, oh God. Help us to have new ways of seeing, new ways of being, even as we practice what it means to love others as ourselves. So now go 
go as God's embodiments of love, of forgiveness, of compassion into this world that so sorely needs it. And may our God of love and compassion go with you now and always. Amen. So thank you so much for joining us for worship, for service today. Uh, so nice to see all of you. Please go in God's peace and may you have a blessed week ahead.